You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Completely has a double meaning. It means completely all of me is saved, and it means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever I'm saved. Jesus is the better priest. He's better because he lives forever and he can save you completely and forever. The priests that came before him all eventually died and a new priest needed to take their place. But Jesus conquered death and lives forever. We'll never need another intermediary between us and God because Jesus has done that work perfectly and completely. Pastor Danny's going to show us all the ways that Jesus is a better priest in today's message. You won't want to miss it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 with today's edition of The Living Word. Bible did prophesy about one who would come from the line of Judah. Let me give you a couple other scriptures. Turn to it if you like, or just note it down. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is about to go to his reward, and he's prophetically speaking about his children, his sons. And it's interesting what the Holy Spirit moves Jacob to say about one particular son, his son Judah. Verse 10, Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, one from Judah. And the obedience of the nations is his. He's going to rule the nations, one who will come from the line of Judah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, some of you, when I mention that passage, it rings a bell, and it rings a bell because you know that's the prophecy about where Messiah would be born. But that's not all it says. Not only did it tell us the place of his birth, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He'll be a ruler over Israel. He'll also rule the nations. Whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, or literally the Hebrew is from eternity. He will be an eternal one coming 
through the loins and the lineage of the tribe of Judah. That's the royal line. That's the kingly line. He's the king, priest, Jesus. Back in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15. This is good stuff, man. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There it is again. Without beginning of days, eternal, without end of life. An eternal one who would come, who will be priest, who will be king, who will be Messiah, Jesus the Christ. You're a priest forever. Now, let me read from somebody much smarter than me that knows Greek and Hebrew. Because there are a couple of words, especially there in verse 15, about Jesus and about this priest that John MacArthur just brings to light as only John MacArthur can. The word appears is, and I don't know how you say it, it's present middle indicative. Just listen up. And it comes from another word, and it gives this word, which is similar, which means to arise. And it's translated here, appears. Anything in the middle voice is reflexive. You say, you still not got me going here. Okay, listen. That means to arise by itself. Here's the point. No ironic priest could ever use that middle voice. He would appear, arise, by virtue of his mother and father, not by himself. In other words, the ironic priest would have to say, I'm a priest not by myself, but because I've inherited the right. But Jesus can say, I just arose a priest without beginning of days or end of life, by my very being, by who I am, not who I'm descended from. I'm a priest. Wow. It's the same word used in Acts 2.32, which speaks of Jesus' resurrection. Remember, Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the power not only to lay it down, I have the power to raise it up again. That's the word. That's cool. He gave his life. He died, and then He raised from the dead so that we might have life, eternal life. Ooh, ooh, I'm getting Jesus bumps. First service, I got Jesus bumps. That's cool. The other word translated, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, and the word appears, that's what we just looked at, but John MacArthur brings out the Greek word for another because there's more than one Greek word for another. One word is a loss, and it means another of the same kind. The second word is heteros, and it means another of a different kind. Simple illustration would be you want to trade your car in. Let's say you got a Chevy. Uh, Let's say you got a Suburban like mine. God bless you when you go to the gas tank. And you want to trade it in for a different Suburban. That's a loss. That's another of the same kind. But if you want to trade it in for a heteros, you want to make a heteros trade, you trade it in for like a Ferrari just an illustration. Never going to happen in this life. That's a heteros, and that's the word used. If another priest like Melchizedek, another priest, in other words, 
Not a loss, kind of similar to the other ones. No, one of a totally different kind. Like Melchizedek, without beginning of days or end of life, a king priest, an eternal priest, an eternal king. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. We draw near to God. I don't know if you can appreciate that statement. There's only one way to draw near to God. Did you know that? The Bible makes it absolutely clear. There's only one way to draw near to God. It's through Jesus Christ by his sacrifice and his shed blood. That's the only way to draw near to God. There's no other way. You say, that's narrow-minded. Absolutely. And thank God he made it narrow. If you're directionally challenged like me, you're happy that the Bible makes it clear that it's narrow. Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to life. What does that mean? God doesn't want everybody to be saved? No, he wants all people to be saved. But narrow is the road. Not only because few are those who choose that path, but listen, some people don't want to believe it's the narrow road. Because the narrow road, that's narrow-minded, isn't it? Aren't there different roads that lead to God? No, the Bible says there's one road. It's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his shed blood. And only as I personally receive him as Lord and Savior is he able to lead me, lead me into the presence of the Father. Ephesians 2.18, we all, Jew and Gentile, have access by the Spirit to the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus, Ephesians 2.18. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. There are not many roads that lead to God. There's only one, and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, if you just know about him, if you've never received him as Lord and Savior, you die in your sin, hell. You got hell to pay, literally. But you don't have to go. You don't have to. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he rose again, that we might be forgiven, and not just forgiven, but we might have life, life abundant and life eternal. That's his life. That's why he came. Boy, if you don't know him today, hey, don't leave here without making the most important eternal decision of your life. It gets better. Verse 20. Listen to this. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. Old covenant priests. But he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Oh, because of this oath, verse 22, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The guarantee of a better covenant. Here's the deal. No other covenant will supersede this one. And nothing's going to happen in my life that's going to take away what Jesus has achieved for me in the new covenant. I like the way one commentator puts it. Let me just read you. Because God's oath must be seen as permanent, The threat of our change in status before God must be understood as having been dealt with decisively. The word translated guarantee, 
which could also be translated guarantor, was common in legal context, but was not normally used in the ancient world to discuss covenants or testaments. In legal context, the word indicated a person who guarantees the position or endeavors of another person by putting himself or herself at risk. The author pictures Jesus as the guarantee for God's covenant promises, as the originator of that covenant through his sacrifice of himself and his permanent position as the high priest of our new covenant with God. Jesus gives firm assurance that this relationship with God will last. It's permanent. It's forever. Wow. An oath. God says, it's never going to change. You're a priest forever, and this covenant will never end. I love this stuff. Verse 23, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Completely has a double meaning. It means completely all of me is saved, and it means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever I'm saved. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect for ever. Can you say hallelujah or praise the Lord or something? I mean, that's just good stuff, man. It just will never, I don't think, to be able to totally comprehend how much he's done for us. Unbelievable. I want to spend the last few minutes of my time honing in on one aspect of the ministry of our great king priest, Jesus. And we read it, the last part of verse 25. Those who come to God through him, he's able to save them completely. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. Always lives to intercede for them. That means that right now, listen to me, listen to me, literally right now, right now while we're sitting here, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding on the behalf of those who believed in him. People like me. He's interceding on my behalf. Intercession, that means pray. He's praying for us. What's he praying? Excellent question. Leave Hebrews. Spend the last few minutes of our time, John's Gospel, chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross. I'm so glad God recorded it for us gives us great insight into his intercessory ministry, not only then, but still now for us. John chapter 17, verse 10, he says, Father, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them, my followers. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. 
And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. And this whole section has to deal with protection, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them saved by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. That's Judas. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Now, I wish he had prayed that. I wish he had prayed, just beam them up, Lord. But that's not what he prayed. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one who is the ruler of this present world. They are not of the world any more than I. He's praying. He prayed it then. Guess what? He's still praying it today. Praying for my protection. And if you know him as Lord and Savior, praying for your protection. Protection in this world, that as we live in this world, Because we live in a world that's ruled by the evil one that we will be protected. Now, how does that work? Well, the protection is connected with his name. Here's the bottom line. As long as I'm willing to openly, unashamedly confess in the world I live in that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Guess what? I'm protected from the evil one. And so are you. But as soon as you back off, and because of the pressure, peer pressure, whatever kind of pressure it is, as soon as you say, well, you know, I don't think at this point I'm going to really let them know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, at that moment, you've just given in to the enemy. You've just given him foothold in your life. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. When you've turned back, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. Peter says, oh, no, Lord, never going to happen. You know, I won't have to turn back, repent, because I'll die with you. This very night, before the rooster crows, three times you'll deny that you even know me. Three times you won't be willing to confess my name. You know the story. And then those few hours when Peter was not willing to openly, before the world, confess that he's a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan had his number, just like you'll have your number and my number. And Jesus is praying. He's praying. He's praying for us that we will never be ashamed or fearful in the world we live in to openly confess, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. No matter what it costs me, no matter what you think of him, he's my king, he's my priest, he's my savior. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. His name is Jesus. Come on, say his name, Jesus. That's his name, Jesus. And I confess him, Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of it. And when I confess his name, 
He protects me from the evil one because the evil one wants to get at you and wants to get at me. You know, it doesn't end there. Look at John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. It means to keep them set apart. Keep them set apart for God's purposes, for holy purposes. So he's not only praying for us, interceding for us still today, that we would continue to confess him before a world that for the most part doesn't confess him, and when we confess him, <laughs> it doesn't please them. But not only continue to confess his name, continue to be sanctified. Sanctified how? By truth. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If all you're getting to the Word is a big mouth like me on a Sunday. I took a month off from ministry as a pastor of Calvary Chapel, St. Petersburg, but I didn't take a month off of being a Christian. That's why I read, and I read, and I read. And I read because I want to, I want to be fed. Because that's, that's sanctification for me. That's what God uses in my life and your life. I need daily bread. You do too. To stay set apart. Let me blow your mind. It blew mine. Verse 20, John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Last night's service, 9 o'clock this morning service, there were people that Jesus had prayed for that now received him as Lord and Savior. You know what? In a crowd this large in this service, I'm willing to wager that somebody, before I'm done, and I'm almost done, you're going to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Guess what? He prayed for you. He, he's already prayed for you. He says, I pray for those that will believe in me. He prayed for you. Isn't that, isn't that, boy, I'm getting Jesus bumps again. Then he prays that they might be one as we are one. And then he prays John 17, verse 24. I love this one. Look at verse 24 if you're there. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus prayed for me, and if you know him as Savior, and if you're about to know him as Savior, he prayed, and he said, Father, I want you to know, I want them to be with me. And I will be. John 14, the disciples are all bent out of shape. They don't understand what's happening. Jesus has been repeatedly telling them what's going to happen on this particular trip into Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. But they never heard the rising again. They just heard the death stuff. And he said there in John 14, where I go, you can't come right now, but you will come later. Where are you going, Lord, and how will we know the way? He says, I'm the way. And what did he say there? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm telling you the truth. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll surely come and receive you that you'll be with me where I am. Is that cool? He prayed for us, and he has a desire. Listen, he has a desire for me to be with him even more than I have a desire to be with him. And we are going to be with him one day, forever and ever and ever 
and ever. We live in the light of a wonderful covenant. We serve a great high priest. He's our king. He's our savior. And in him, we have an everlasting intercessor. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. People having idols might seem like an outdated idea, but the truth is people have all kinds of idols these days. It might not be a carved image or something that you literally bow down to, but what about your priorities? It could be sports or that TV show that you just can't miss or anything that takes your focus away from God and is put in a higher standing than Him. The book of Hebrews is great at highlighting how God should be in that top priority spot, and if anything else takes his place, then it's an idol. Do you see these areas in your life today? Well, we all have things that we need help to keep in check, and Hebrews provides a solid reminder of who God is and how nothing else can compare. We're so glad that you've taken the time to listen today. Here at The Living Word, we'd love for you to pray for this ministry. We always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first, just like Hebrews focuses on. We need God's guidance, so would you pray that we'd always recognize His voice? Thanks so much for praying. If you'd like to connect with us in person, check out ccfstpete.church for our service times. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Hebrews, right here on The Living Word.